The rest of you, I, that, that after the kids exited this morning, I know that there's just a few of us left, right? But take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, we're looking at the subject of ministry vision. Let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Looking at the subject of ministry vision, we're continuing this series, 2020 Vision, sharpening the focus, but we're transitioning from our focus on the family to our ministry vision, and everybody here has a ministry. So we'll spend about three weeks here looking at ministry vision. Today, more particularly, we're looking at, and more specifically, we're looking at servanthood, servanthood. Jesus certainly had a lot to say about servanthood, so let's begin reading with verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand or or my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. When the ten heard of it, they were greatly displeased. The word disgruntled may be a better translation there. They were indignant, the King James says. They were upset with these two brothers. Verse 25, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, I pray that you would give us a grand vision for servanthood. A vision of our Lord and Savior who took up a cross after washing his disciples' feet, in order that he might die on that cross and wash their sins away. Lord, we thank you that you're alive, that you live in us, and you call us to live out our lives in a way that glorifies you. Now we ask that your Spirit speak to us through these words this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. There was a certain pastor who belonged to a a particular denomination that changed pastors quite frequently, and so they always put together a welcoming committee to welcome in the new pastor. He knew that this church was known for a couple of things. They all had a great sense of humor, which he was looking forward to, but they would use that sense of humor to give the pastor a difficult time. So for this particular pastor who was known for for preaching with a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion, he would raise his voice, he was He was called the hollering pastor and all kinds of things. Uh, When he came to be their pastor, they showed him his office and they had put on a plaque on the door his title, hog collar. That's what they called him. And they all got a kick out of that. He's the hog collar, and it was just right there on the door. And he looked at it and he chuckled for a minute and he looked at these elders who were showing this 
plaque to him, and he said, well, most places I've been known as shepherd of the sheep, but I guess you guys know the people here better than I do. (laughs) You know, when it comes to ministry, it's not really about titles, is it? We can come up with all kinds of crazy names or titles in the church, but it's not about whether we're laity or clergy. In fact, I don't even like the word clergy. There's some false sense between those that are on ministry staff and those who aren't. Uh, We have positions in the church that are ordained in Scripture like pastors and deacons, elders. The words pastor, bishop, elder are all used interchangeably. So sometimes it can seem difficult to just kind of figure all of that out. Jesus was explaining to his disciples, it's not really about position when it comes to the kingdom of God. As we kind of catch up to where we are in this study of vision, I pray that God will give us a vision of of just being servants. In January, we looked at that kind of that individual vision. In February, we looked at a vision for the home. Now, as we begin to look at ministry vision, getting excited, getting a passion for the ministry that God's called each one of us to, let me remind you, all of us are in the ministry. We are all called to be servants. And indeed, the the word for ministry at its very core comes out of the word for servant, servanthood. Someone who is a public minister is a public servant. So we'll look at servanthood today. Then we'll get into areas of stewardship and spiritual gifts over the next few weeks. Then we'll look at God's will for our lives and and our work and other places that he calls us to minister. So before we talk about stewardship and, and spiritual gifts and how to discern God's will and God's calling on our life in various areas, I want us to be sure that we understand what Jesus was saying here. And that is, before you get into all of that, before he got to the Great Commission where he would commission his disciples who would be called apostles and have their names inscribed on many of them, even books of the Bible, he would teach them a little bit about servanthood because the attitude had to take shape in their lives before anything else. Paul told the church at Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this attitude, let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at some of those verses that describe that mindset or that attitude this morning. But what do we see in this text? We see the attitude that Christ embraced and wanted his disciples to embrace, the attitude of a servant. So Matthew points out what our ministry heart should be first. So, so can we take a few minutes this morning and let's just make sure our heart is in the right place when it comes to our vision for ministry. When it comes to our vision for ministry, that, that our heart embraces the attitude of a servant, that we would have a servant's heart. What will that accomplish for us, for God, for the church, for the kingdom? Well, first of all, this morning, I want you to see this. The servant's heart overcomes pride. The heart overcomes pride. In Christ's kingdom economy, there is no room for pride. Isn't it interesting that Satan himself was kicked out of heaven because of pride when he said, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. I want to be the center of attention. He was kicked out of heaven forever. And then after the fall of Satan, of course, scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3, of the fall of Adam, the fall of Eve. And how did Satan appeal to them? Pride. 
It's been said, I is in the middle of the word pride, and I is in the middle of the word sin. Adam and Eve bought the devil's lie. No, you can be the center of attention. You can be like the Most High if you will eat of this tree. So we live in a sin-fallen world today, ultimately, that is traced back to this thing called pride. The servant's heart gets us back where we need to be in getting a ministry vision. Philippians 2, I mentioned verse 5 a moment ago, where it says, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Jesus. goes on to say in verses 6 and 7 that even though Jesus was in the very form or nature and he was in essence God, he considered equality with God not something to be grasped, but something to be laid aside. In other words, though Jesus never ceased to be divine, he laid aside his robes of deity to take on humanity. It says he took on the form even of a servant, the form of a slave, and became obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. So as we look at verses 20 and 21, let's not get too upset with the disciples here. Their mother kind of shows up. She comes on the scene. We learned something about these disciples right away. They got it honest, didn't they? They got it honest. They got it from mom. And see, mom somewhere decided, you know what? It's time I had a little talk with that coach down there. I mean, that um, religious leader down there, that pastor, that I'm going to go take up for my boys, and I'm going to make sure that he understands they're the best players on his team. Going to make sure he understands that and that he puts them in their rightful position. Oh, that's the RSV, the Robbie Standard Version. I'm getting away from the text just a little bit, right? But can you see the mother's attitude in all this, and, and, and do we see it sometimes within ourselves? See, the right hand, she went to request that her sons, James and John, would be on the right hand and the left hand. The right hand was often referred to as that place of position and power. And then the left hand would be the next guy to him. And he says, I want, I want these guys positioned in this place of power and influence and a place of authority. And Jesus begins to explain, listen, there's no room for this jockeying for position in, in my ministry. That's not the way we're going to do ministry. The very fact that we need Jesus, the very fact that we need our family, the very fact that we need this family known as the local church, the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the fact that we need that in our lives eliminates any room for pride and says that we all have to be team players in the kingdom. Some of you have heard this story before of where Muhammad Ali was on an airplane and the Fasten seat belts, light came on, and he refused to fasten his seat belt. The stewardess came to him, knowing he was a celebrity. She still said, Sir, you're going to have to fasten your seat belt. And he refused to fasten his seat belt. I'm sorry, sir, you're going to have to fasten your seat belt. And finally, Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need a seat belt. And she reacted very quickly. She said, Superman also doesn't need an airplane. We all have pride. We think we, we don't need others, that we don't need to submit, we don't need to serve. We need Christ and his church. Before we get into 
spiritual gifts and all of these ministries God calls us to, we need to understand that there's a certain attitude that we must embrace first and foremost. Some folks feel like, you know what I really need is to get my hand on a certificate of license, a certificate of ordination. I need to be chairman of a particular ministry team. Jesus says, no, it's not position. It's not popularity. It's not power. It's a heart issue. What we need is a servant's heart. And a servant's heart will open other doors of opportunity. I was kind of kidding around yesterday with uh, Jeff, and uh, we give him a hard time around here sometimes. Truth of the matter is, I enjoy hearing him lead worship, and I enjoy the uh, folks that stand on this platform and, and play various instruments, and sometimes I wish I had those kind of talents, those gifts and abilities, and, and many of you have that, and, and, and that's awesome. I, I can't sing a lick, but uh, yesterday, even though we picked at him a little bit, I admired the fact that he was willing to say to uh, uh, Jeff Hilburn and Ben Smith and some of these folks, teach me how to use a chainsaw. Now, quite honestly, Jeff, it scared me to death. But he was saying, teach me how to use a, a, a chainsaw. Arm's still sore there, but No? All right, doing good today. He played the guitar well this morning. But a servant's heart says, you know what? I, I don't always have to be in front of a crowd. I can be behind the scenes doing whatever it takes to get the ministry done. And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Secondly, I want you to see this morning, it's the servant's heart that pays a price. The servant's heart will pay a price. When you get down to verse 22, you realize not everybody is going to be willing and able to pay the kind of price that it takes to have a servant's heart. Jesus answered, and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. So you see, there's a price that comes with the kind of leadership that you want to embrace. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said, we're able, we're ready, we're ready to pay the price. And they really didn't understand what was in that cup. There's an aspect of that cup that only Jesus could drink, let's be honest about it. Because when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before he was crucified on Calvary's cross for my sin and for your sin, he he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That's why it is scandalous to say that there can be any other way to heaven except through the cross because the Son of God prayed, if there be any other way, Father, reveal it. Let this cup pass from me. What was in the cup? What was in the cup was all of the sin, all of the hell, all of the wrath of God on our sin for all eternity that had to be placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. But Jesus understood that his disciples would also take up a cross, that they would also pay a price, that 11 of the 12 would die a martyr's death one day, and only John would live to old age, but his cross would be in many different forms, including being exiled to the island of Patmos, where he would deliver us a wonderful book, the book of Revelation through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They would take up their cross. In verse 23, he says, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. You're going to pay a price for this ministry. You're going to pay a price for the mission. You don't realize what that price is going to be at this point. But listen, to sit on my right hand or my left, that's reserved for my father. That's part of the sovereign plan of God, 
And that's not what you're to be concerned with at this point in time in this ministry endeavor. See, the highest form of leadership is not positional. We need to remember this in our church and ministry setting like this, but your ministry setting in your home, your ministry setting in your workplace, you need to understand the highest level of leadership is not positional. By the way, positional leadership is the lowest level of leadership. I understood when I came here as pastor, I was not the leader just because I was the pastor. I am glad that mentors like uh, Johnny Hunt and others made statements like, you probably will not technically be the pastor until you've been there about six or seven years, which is interesting. A lot of pastors are not in one place six or seven years. You have the position, you have the title. doesn't mean you're the leader. See, the, the highest level of leadership is not positional leadership. It's servant leadership. And so I was encouraged early on. It's going to be after you've done a few funerals and walked through a few crises before you're seen as the shepherd, the pastor. If you're working in a position of leadership in a business, it's not till you take one for the team or sacrifice something dearly for the organization that people will begin to see you as the leader. Jesus explained that he would pay a price and that they too would pay a price one day. Having not served in the military, I have great respect for those who do serve in the military. And I've noticed from many of my friends, and, and I've had friends serve as chaplains, and, and, and kids come up in youth groups that have served in various ways in the military, even as chaplains. And one thing that I have noticed in my conversation with those of you who have served in the military is this. You have greater respect when those in authority over you in the military you have greater respect even for a commander-in-chief when he has also paid the price, when he has also served in your shoes. Paying a price is not living for yourself. It's living for the ministry cause. It's hard for us to grasp that. It's hard for us to understand what Jesus was teaching here about paying a price. Sometimes we're so quick to say, okay, I'm going to, like these disciples, we are willing, we are able, we're going to pay this price. And, and sometimes, even in saying that, we're just simply trying to be manipulative. I heard of a salesman who became a leading salesman because he approached those who came to purchase automobiles by saying, hey, let me, uh, let me show you that car that all your neighbors said you couldn't afford. How did he become a leading salesman? They wanted to prove that they could pay the price. We can't afford that car. Sometimes we say we're willing to do things that we might not really be ready to do. Ministry vision is not a lofty view of self, but a picture of humble servants, servanthood because you have a lofty view of the ministry. So the servant's heart is a heart that pays a price it overcomes pride, and it pays a price. And third, I want you to see the servant's heart unites the program. The servant's heart unites the program. Why was Jesus going to have to deal with this attitude, this attitude of pride that, that he saw there? Why was he going to have to call these disciples together here in a second? It says in verse 24, when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the brothers. 
That's, that's why Jesus has a problem on his end. It's no problem for him. He's got all the authority and the power to rebuke it. But he was having to deal with this attitude. The King James Version says that these other disciples were moved with indignation. In other words, they were upset. There was disharmony. There was disunity because of pride and jealousy. If there was pride that existed in these two disciples or pride that existed in the heart of their mother who was jockeying for position for her boys... By the way, moms, just to let you know, that can be a nightmare for any boy for mama to have to take up for you. Just give you a little hint there. Dads, too. You know, the only thing worse than a boy standing on the sideline, not getting the play in time he feels like he deserves is when he hears dad yelling at the coach about it. That's even more embarrassing than not getting on the field. Just I quit preaching going to meddling, but just uh, a free side note to the message this morning. Listen. The rest of the disciples, they seem to have as much jealousy here, which means they're dealing with pride to the same extent James and John and their mom was dealing with. Obviously, if there's a team effort here with the disciples, there's a ministry, if there's an organization that's going to be more successful, then there needs to be a leader within that organization or multiple leaders within the organization who recognize various strengths and and various gifts, and they enlist people and help people get plugged into particular areas of ministry and service or positions on the team. That's part of leadership. I understand that. But there's something that's more important than that ability to recognize all of the various gifts and strengths and talents that different people bring to the table, and that's for everybody to have a servant's heart because a servant's heart would unite the program. It says... Whatever I can do to help accomplish our goals, that's what I'm willing to do. I want to show you a picture from a a football game we had the chance to attend this past fall. Some of you might remember this picture right here, or at least this game right here this past season. If I were to ask you to name somebody in the picture, I would probably hear the name. All right, Aaron Murray. A few few of you got that one right. Aaron Murray, he's kind of he's calling the signals. He's kind of calling the shot. He kind of had the name. Well, leading up to this game, he had a... Uh, kind of a reputation. Everybody said he couldn't do what? Well, the Bulldog fans said, win the big game. Couldn't win the big game. We had the opportunity to go. I still have no idea, for you ACS guys, why the coach made you wear your game jerseys to pass out trash bags before this game because your game jerseys look just like those up there, don't they? <laughs> you, we look like a bunch of LSU fans. Everybody's yelling obscenities at these boys over here that, that had those jerseys on. And, and uh, I'm like, dude, it says ACS. It's that big, but it says ACS right there on the jersey. We're at this game, waiting to see if Murray can win the big one. But you know what's interesting to me? What, what kind of baffles me about this whole process? Mitch, why didn't they call out one of the linebackers and say, why didn't they say that linebacker can't win the big game? It was Murray that couldn't win the big game. We know better than that, right? It was the team that had not won the big game. And, and the team gave, in this game, a total team effort. I have to admit, it was the most exciting football game I've ever been to in my life. If you were there, if you saw it on TV, you know what I'm talking about. Most exciting football game I ever went to in my life. And, and both teams gave a total team effort. But I mean, it was a total team effort. Even 
when the defense had to make a play at the end of the game, they made the play. It was exciting. It, it was wonderful to be at. And then everybody said, guess what? Murray won the big game. It was a team effort. But if a team is going to be successful, they're, they're not worried about who's calling all the plays. They're not worried about who gets all the credit. They're saying, let me do what I can do to help the team be successful. And that's what it takes in ministry. It takes us a, a humble heart. It takes a spirit. It takes a servant's heart that says, whatever I can do to help the team be successful. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or pride, but in humility, literally lowliness of mind, count others as more significant than yourself. So when they get an opportunity to do something you wanted the opportunity to do, you can rejoice and celebrate their opportunity. See, the place of leadership is a posture of servitude. What is the lesson that Jesus is teaching? That brings us to our fourth and final point this morning. The lesson he's, he's trying to teach, and, and, and he does summons the disciples. He says, we've got to have a talk. <laughs> Boys, we've got to have a talk. Guys, come here. He's teaching them the servant's heart influences the people. It's the servant's heart that influences the people, or we might say the most people. Look at verse 25. Jesus called them to himself, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, and sometimes the word Gentiles is used to describe the secular crowd. Not just to distinguish between Jewish people and Gentile people, but when, when the word Gentile often is used in a Jewish context in the New Testament, then it's referring to the worldly crowd, those who are worldly-minded. Some translations, New Living Translation, even speaks of those of this world rather than using the word Gentiles. So he's explaining to so, something to his disciples here about turning the organizational leadership chart upside down, if you will. He says, those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, those who have a real heart for ministry and a vision for ministry, let him be your servant. He basically pointed out that the world didn't get it. The, the Gentiles, the, the world, those outside of God's economy, God's kingdom, they, they don't understand all of this. But the leaders in his program will understand that there's no place for tyranny, no place for manipulation, whether it's on the job, in the home, in the church, pulpit, the pew, wherever it may be, there's no place for intimidation, manipulation, no place for spiritual tyranny. And here's where the paradox becomes a common sense reality, I think. Verse 27 when you serve others, by the way, they learn to trust. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Let him be your slave. That's true on the job. The one who says, I'm going to stay overtime to help out my coworker. It's true in the classroom. The one who goes, listen, I know it's not cool to be called a teacher's pet, but the one who says to their teacher's how can I help you? How can I be a blessing to you? How can I encourage Even that teacher you may not like so much, how can I be an encouragement to you? Works in the home, begin to not have to be asked, children, not have to be asked, husbands, <laughs> to do the dishes, to clean your room, to mow the lawn. You begin to serve and do those things without having to be asked or without having to be told, then you will gain influence in those particular venues. It's true in courtship, dating, 
You go out with somebody, listen, fellas, girls don't want to go out with somebody who talks about themselves all the time. Begin to talk about them. Works with friendships at school and on the job. When you're not fighting for position, but finding a way to serve people, you will find yourself in positions of leadership because people trust you and they appreciate that you are thinking about them and putting them first. And did Jesus just preach this or did he model it? Look at verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus lived out what he was preaching. He did not just do that as a model. He did that because he was the only one that could pay the price for my sin and for your sin. But while doing that, he also gave us a model to follow. And Peter says we're to walk in his steps. We're to follow in his foot tracks of serving others, loving others. Greater love has no one than this than he would lay his life down for his friends. Not being jealous of position, popularity, not being given to pride, but saying, you know what? I've got a ministry heart, a ministry vision. How can I help the team? How can I get behind God's grand vision for my home, my church, my workplace, my school, wherever he has placed me to be salt and light for him? Here's what you can do to have the greatest impact, to influence the most people. That's not try to get attention on yourself, but start with a servant's heart. Just start serving others. And out of that servant's heart, we'll see over the next couple of weeks, you'll find yourself in particular positions. Jesus went all the way to the cross. He came to die, came to give his life. And then we're to follow in his steps, giving our life for others. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?